Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blight Disgusting's horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Monday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolton. And for this month's edition of Horror Bites, in which Neil and I each highlight four bite-sized indie titles, we have a new bevy of free horror titles to chat about that can typically be completed in less than an hour. So Neil, I'm really excited to dig into this month's crop of uh, indie games that we've kind of just stumbled upon without doing much research into them. Um, That's definitely the aspect that I've been enjoying the most, just kind of going sight on scene and picking something and not even like worrying about if people have been enjoying it, not even really knowing much about it other than how it looks. And it's yielded a lot of really entertaining and, you know, in some instances, horrifying results that I wasn't expecting. And it's been a a delight month to month. Yeah, it's just been fun as hell like i said last month it just does feel like that whole video store thing and just pick up something like look at the box art and go yep I'll, I'll do that that'll be fine and yeah it comes up with some very varied experiences once again this month that um uh, some short some sweet some longer and all different styles yeah you know? as i found out some stuff that I was old too compared to my son who'd uh, already <laughs> told me about these games. <laughs> and I think it's really great too that people have been reaching out to us with recommendations. I mean, yeah. friend of the show, uh, Aaron Bames reached out about one that you picked for this month. And, you know, I would love to get more even recommendations or even just hearing from uh, listeners about the games that they've been playing, you know, no, no matter the size of them, they could be horror bite sized or they could just be horror games in general. Um, so I guess, you know, if anybody out there that's listening is interested in sharing with us what they've been playing, uh, definitely hit us up on Twitter at Safe Room Pod, because uh, so far I've been really interesting to see people, you know, going back and playing things that we've chatted about and then seeing yeah. their reaction. But also, you know, we're getting so many horror games on, it seems, a daily or even hourly basis at this point. It's really interesting to be introduced to games that aren't being covered by big sites, you know pretty commonplace now i think even with a site like blade disgusting where you're getting these smaller games highlighted educating audiences about it but there's so many games out there being released so frequently that it's not really realistic to completely wait for a uh, website to you know compile a a weekly or a monthly list of these so anybody out there that would like to share with us maybe a, a hidden gem or even just a small horror game that you know did one thing great and maybe didn't succeed at some others like we still want to kind of hear from people and the types of uh games that they've been playing yeah i think um the twitter account horror visuals is very good at that you know it points out a lot of these games you know i think it's the first week where i felt ahead of the game slightly where they sort of advertised one of the games i picked as like i already picked it it's fine (laughs) 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 we're getting better at this But yeah, it's always been handy to me to sort of just get an idea of, oh, it's interesting, that looks nice. And yeah, it, that's probably the best format for things like this because you can just reel off recommendations without going too much context, few pictures, whet the appetite, see what you like. And yeah, it, it works just as well as I was saying, where you just go in and randomly pick some stuff based on what it looks like on the front cover, so to speak. Yeah. And that uh, Horror Visuals is at Horror Visuals on uh, Twitter. We you know, does a fantastic job of sort of culminating this ever-growing list of, Mm. you know, both big and small horror experiences. Uh, But yeah, Neil, let's uh, start the month off with your first pick for Horror Bites. Yes, so um, 
we'll start with the shortest and the sweetest of the lot, I think, and uh, and yet probably the one with the most notoriety, I suppose, around with some <laughs> because it's a well-known quantity, and this was the one my son was like, oh, yeah, I know that one. I doubt I've seen it on YouTube, he said, after I picked it and played it. <laughs> and that is No Snake Hotel, which is by Two Star Games, who are currently making that uh, internet favourite Choo Choo Charles, um, which you may have seen, which is the sort of spider-armed evil Thomas the Tank Engine type thing chasing <laughs> everything. You know it. If, you, if, if you're in this medium, you know it. Um, so this uh, basically made in... 24 hours over two days for a, a YouTube challenge. Um, so it's about five minutes long, simple stuff, and a promise of definitely no snakes, uh, I think is, is the key thing here. So yeah, the idea is you are going to an, into a hotel where they're raving about the fact that it has no snakes whatsoever. And the little notes you find also tell you that it's great here. There are no snakes here. I can't believe how much no snakes are here. And it, of course, is very tongue-in-cheek in that regard. And there is increasing evidence that actually there might be snakes here. Um, and it escalates in very, you know, a, a good pace, I would say, because, you know, it's five minutes and you, know, you don't really do much otherwise. You, it's walking around a couple of corridors to see what you have to see a very funny un, you know underwhelming jump scare attempt you know with it you know on purpose made a building we're building we're building you're following a blood trail all around and it leads to something that's deliberately ridiculous and before you know hitting its actual what the fuck moment which um unfortunately you know kind of gets spoiled by the coverage of the game here there and everywhere and even on the page itself, that you know, you, you don't get to have the surprise of that reveal, which maybe you know, is the big problem with it. But also, it's kind of the big selling point. And the reason I sort of picked it because like there's there there is a big fucking snake there, and <laughs> it, <laughs> it's like and I'm not, and I really am not spoiling it because this is all over the front of the uh, you know the developer's page. Uh, I mean, it's in the YouTube video at the top. It's all that. And you know, there's only so much you can't show in a game so short. It's, yeah, it's very much a game that's been made in 24 hours. And it does a fun job for what it does. How did, how did you get on with that? Yeah, I'll say, you know, it's definitely short and sweet. And the big kind of jump of scare of the game kind of is spoiled before you even get there. But yeah. I think it's a great example of utilizing humor in a way to make an experience remarkable or memorable in a way that had it not had those elements, I probably wouldn't have found it as enjoyable of an experience. You know what I mean? Like I was not yeah. expecting it to be as, so heavily tongue in cheek leaning into that. Right. I mean, <laughs> the load, instead of a loading screen, you're in an elevator basically waiting to arrive to your floor. And there's like a poster on the wall that says, They've got a 99.9% .9 guarantee that there are no snakes in this hotel. And you're being told over the intercom that there's definitely for certain no snakes in this hotel. And then you stumble <laughs> upon a couple of like testimonials from people that have stayed in the hotel, like these little notes and yeah. whatnot. And you know where it's going uh, from probably the moment that you download the game. But I think that just little bits of humor like that go a long way in making an experience more than what you thought it was going to be. And yeah. I just really appreciate that use of it. And, you know, 
humor and horror games can be very difficult a lot of the ways you know personally yeah. with me like horror comedies are not one of my favorite uh subgenres or genres but with games in general like using humor in a way that's smart that's very tongue-in-cheek uh without being overkill like this game only has one joke obviously um yeah but the ways in which they go about implementing that joke i found to be not only organic to this hotel setting but at the same time just like the fact that you can't believe marketing, the fact that you can't believe a lot of testimonials that are yeah. more than likely written by the companies or the organizations that you're either involved with or you're going to spend money with. Um, so it. in that regard, I thought that it was a smart way to bolster an experience that from the outset, you know what it's going to entail, but this kind of just gives it they're in on the joke and they do it in a way that doesn't feel too overbearing. You're in and out quickly, but it's made more memorable because of the use of humor, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So on to your first pick. Yeah, my first pick is going to be The Interview by Tyro Byte. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. five to ten minute, give or take experience, uh, in which the player is tasked with interviewing a strange, monstrous deity known as Sister Maria that's being held in a government facility. And it's up to the player to uh, unravel the mystery of why she's appeared and the significance of her uh, mission, as it were. Um, this was one that has that VHS style aesthetic. You know, you've got the recording camera, you're there in an official capacity to uncover and document what's going on. And it plays out like a police interrogation, essentially, um, where you're greeted by this monster in a cell and you're interviewing their purpose for being here and getting to the root of them being there, what their true mission is. And, you know, I appreciated the fact that there's multiple endings depending on the sort of dialogue tree that you deviate down, right? You The game's dialogue is very heavily, I would say, tied to faith in terms of it being tied to Sister Maria's reason for being there and whatnot. And whether you kind of lean into the idea of you want to explore that faith or question your character's faith or go in a different direction in terms of like, being more hostile, I guess, or more uh, agnostic, if you will, um, that will dictate the outcome, essentially, of the different endings that you can get. Um, I guess for a game that's so heavily text-based and conversational-based, I didn't necessarily have anything in there that was kind of like a standout, but at the same time, I didn't think it necessarily... I didn't really have any critiques or faults with it. It kind of was just very straight-laced, straight-cut, you're going to go one of two directions and you're going to get two very different outcomes. Um, How did you find this one? Yeah, I mean, I like the early 2000s of PC first-person shooter aesthetic to the characters. You know, we've talked at length about, you know, how most retro games are going for a a much earlier period of time. So it's refreshing to see that, you know, to see something that was trying to jump ahead to the next generation sort of look. Um. I like that the interview itself very quickly turns, you know, from being you in interrogating them to them interrogating you. And, you know, I think it has that one standout moment towards the end of that, you know, I'm not going to spoil it, but, uh, you know, given a certain answer, you yeah, you get a nice test of power, let's say. Um, but uh, I'm not so sure about the endings. I think, some of them are a bit flat and don't really 
feel like it doesn't feel like it needed multiple endings to me it's like i feel you could have told the story straight up and i get that it's a good experiment to have and try different things but some of them just didn't feel like they fit even with the uh sort of branching dialogue choices that you get um but yeah it's a fun little thing you know i like concept of it it makes sense to have the video camera thing uh, you know as a part of the game and yeah the novel concept you know to be sort of you're going to interrogate it's you know the day the earth stood still but horror based and that's, that's a cool way of doing it you know that's considering what most games try and uh emulate in, in this space you know it's kind of refreshing to have something a bit different you know, and that's you know, having cloud to basically be a killer nun is a uh, yeah cool <laughs> yeah it was i'll say this you know i it, i wasn't blown away necessarily by like the writing or even the scope of the thing or the different paths mm. that the dialogue trees take you but it is far more refined that i think than a majority of these similar types of little experiences um, i thought it yeah. was really well refined just in terms of presentation the different, you know, even just having those dialogue options, even if the big payoff isn't necessarily there, there's still a multitude of different paths that you could, well, there's only really two or three probably, but in mm. terms of like the options that are at your disposal, they actually felt quite significantly different than one another. Um, and for that matter, I was appreciative of it. And, you know, it's paced perfectly well, I think, for the type of experience it is, right? It doesn't feel too drawn out. It doesn't feel yeah. too, too short. It kind of comes in, does what it needs to do. Wish there was a little more payoff, but at the end of the day, I think it's one of the better, probably, games of this same style um, that are out there. How about you? What was your uh, second pick? Uh, so I will go for one of my two very text-heavy games, uh, which is Whimper by Broken Portals. Now, I luckily, before I got to play it, you played it, and came across with a recommendation, which was a, a very interesting one I found, uh, which was to play a certain kind of music for it. And I was like, okay, that sounds good, which was Silent Hill ambient relaxing music thing on YouTube. And that really did turn out to help, I think. It, it really sort of sold what was going on with this. So what happens here? You are basically in a world that's been devastated by aliens, that's left it poisoned forever and you know, in various ways the surface isn't safe and you know obviously people are dealing with that in various good and bad ways um so yeah, it's about this man who left his home after many years on his own and goes out into the world to find out what's there and yeah it basically tells it like you know a novel you are just reading text stuff constantly um, clicking on certain words to sort of progress the story and you know you can have choices occasionally to go look at this first look at that first ignore that go along and you know I thought it told its story really well because of that you know and it has little pictures occasionally in this sort of uh, black and green sort of uh, visual style you know, it would just be like a picture of a building or like the sea or whatever, something relative to the, the passage of the story that you are reading at the point. And yeah, I think it really gets into it nicely. I mean, it's not anything you probably haven't heard in a post-apocalyptic sort of story before, but it does it so nicely. And 
really sort of sells the dread and the discombobulation the main character is having with like coming out into the world and you know how long has it been do i remember you know not remembering faces um and just sort of stumbling from one misadventure to the uh, another without really going overboard with it it was a nice grounded story considering you know how grandiose it is you know in terms of like you know this great big alien threat and how impossible it was and you learn these little backstories about the day of the battles and stuff like that as well as the character's own personal history and how that sort of intertwines with the, the alien invasion yeah I, I was pretty impressed you know I, I sat down with my son and we were sort of you know reading for it together sort of giving him the option to pick this stuff and yeah I think he he said you know he got a bit bored after a while because there's a lot of reading, but <laughs> that's fair enough. But yeah, he said he enjoyed it still. So yeah, no, and I had to pretty much concur on that one. I, I quite enjoyed it for, for what it was. It you know, for a twine game, it's done very well. You know, it's uh, it's nice to see like the basics of like what you would do in a three D environment, sort of stripped back and really sort of condensed into you know back into a story, you know, mm-hmm. rather than just being a game. Whilst having those gamey elements, you know, you could imagine just being in a 3D space and like walk over there, interact with that, have a little backstory about something. Okay, walk down the road. This happens. That happens. It's like, you know, it's that, but you know, the essence of that. Like someone was explaining, you know, a game to you, um, with, and you sort of going, well, okay, what happens if I go there then, and and telling you, and yeah, I, I think that really works for it you know it leans into the limitations of doing that quite well how did you go with this i was pleasantly surprised by this because you know i'm not somebody that was of a generation that played a lot of like text-based games Mm. and this really did a great job of capturing and highlighting the fact that this is a story more than a game right text-based adventures for lack of a better phrase i guess I would always prefer for it to be a story rather than it being, okay, what action do you take here or there? Because really, if I wanted an action experience or one that had more player choice, I would just go out of my way to play another type of game, right? And this game really takes that medium in the best direction possible where, and, you know, it's helpful that the uh, dev behind it is able to write a story that is actually engaging and not just a series of actions, right? It's more interpersonal introspective of the character and their plight not just solely focusing you know the alien invasion is the big culminating event that has kicked this off but that's not the sole focus it's more about this person's journey and their perception of themselves but also noticing how the world has changed Um, and i think that that makes for and you know not to fault your son for getting tired of reading it because you know that's (laughs) that can be a tendency with children but i myself was when I loaded this, I was like, well, I wonder how long this is going to be. Do I really want to just like keep reading a bunch of text? But then I was so engrossed in it that it was the type of experience where I wanted to know more, but it was the proper length, I think, to tell the story that it was telling in a way that didn't feel repetitive. It didn't feel like it was just a series of like, oh, well, now there's a bandit here and now I got to deal with the cannibal over here. It felt like a story that has a natural arc to it much like, you know, literature or fiction does, yeah. which I could see being something very difficult to do 
in this short period of time, right? It's like a 30 minute experience at most probably, um, or 20 minutes or so, but to have a full arc that feels satisfying, that doesn't necessarily answer all the questions somebody might have, but you leave it feeling satisfied with that arc and that sort of character and their experience in the wasteland, uh, is if you will. Um, and you know, the, the ambient music thing, I listen to that type of music whenever I'm at my computer, just cause it drowns out my tinnitus. And so yeah. I got about five minutes into it until I realized that I had ambient music playing in the background. I didn't yeah. even realize that <laughs> I had assumed that it was part of the game, but then I was like, Oh wait, yeah. no. And Neil won't have that experience. And I just felt that like having that melancholic music in the background, it matches the tone of this so well to the degree yes, that very much so. I mean, it feels kind of akin to, uh, uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, right? And that mm. is the type of thing that I would want to read anyways. And so for this novel to be so heavily, or the story rather, to be so heavily based in their perception of their current reality, but also like realizing that this event has changed them and this event has really been the thing that like actually makes them analyze their past. Yeah. I don't know. I felt that it was... It was much more involving and it felt much more personable and of a quality of writing that maybe I necessarily wouldn't attribute with a lot of like text based adventures because, uh, you know, I feel like so often it's more about like, well, well, let me describe this action set piece or this act of violence to you in a way yeah. that is akin to a video game, since obviously it's text and not the visual medium uh, of, you know, 3D animation graphics and whatnot. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by that. And it stuck with me in a way that, you know, you read a short story or something, then the way that that sticks with you, uh, this was very, very uh, successful at doing that. And, you know, you mentioned like the pictures, which are, they're very, I don't know the best way to describe photography, but like, they're almost like vague. You know what I mean? They feel almost a little out of focus or underdeveloped, just enough that you get the sense of what they are conveying or they're matching an element of the text but there's like a dreamy, smoky filled quality to it that it feels mm. like a byproduct of this infected world that the character is describing to the player, um, which I thought really complemented it well. And, you know, the text is all green, which goes along with the green gas that the aliens have left behind or yeah. it's a byproduct of their invasion. It's a smart moment, actually, um, in that text writing where when the character dreams or when they go in an indoor environment that's safe from it, that mm-hmm. it detects change to white again. And it's yeah. like, and I, like at one point that literally just happens in the middle of a paragraph, you know, where it's describing how he goes inside and suddenly it changes like that. And it's, I thought that was a really cool sort of little moment, you know, that really sold what they were doing with the story. Yeah. And, you know, there's not much interactivity in it. You're not making choices really other than, the ability to expand on certain items mm. that are in the text itself. Like generally in a paragraph, there's one or two words that are bolded yeah. and underlined. And when you click on that, it expands with additional text or it simulates you like going into another room or something. Um, there aren't a ton of those moments, but even those moments I thought were effective, but it was also indicative of how engrossing I found the story to be because, you know, if what I was reading was not clicking with me. I probably would have just skipped past them to get to the next section. But exactly. Yeah. In this regard, they were representative of the fact that like, Oh no, I'm actually getting invested in this and involved in this in a way that I would with, again, like a piece of science fiction, dystopian uh, or horror uh, fiction. 
So, um, fourth of our eight picks, and your second one, what is it? Uh, my second pick is going to be Dispatch by Two Shoed Lou, which was a 20-minute, uh, give or take, experience, and it incorporates uh, voice commands. You don't necessarily have to play it with that, but no. it'll make more sense in how that can be a, uh, a benefit of this experience. Uh, so in Dispatch, you play a police officer with a questionable past that's riding a desk, responding to 911 calls, seemingly by way of uh, some sort of punishment with something that's occurred previously to the beginning of this story. Uh, the, your routine evening of answering benign calls <laughs> takes a turn when you receive a call from a woman dealing with an abusive spouse who's broken in, and it's up to the player to help her and her daughter escape to safety. This will not come as a surprise to people that... Uh, watch film with any frequency, but this is very much heavily inspired, I would say, by Gustav Moller's excellent Danish film, The Guilty, uh, which was recently remade by, I forget at the moment, but Jake Gyllenhaal was in it. Yes. it that's on Netflix. It's very much that experience, mm -hmm. right? It's single location. You are riding a desk for the entirety of the experience. You're not going to get up and leave and go save the day. And so you're in charge of answering the phone's and then you have these monitors in front of you, so you can file a report yeah. based on what's happened, or you can track the various uh, police cars that are in the vicinity of where a crime's being reported. And through these conversations, the player has one or two options on how to respond and what they can say uh, to these calls. And like I said, the game begins with one or two calls that are actually quite humorous, right? It's kind of to, <laughs> to establish the fact that this is like very mundane. This is almost a nuisance for the player or the character that they're facilitating in that it's like, yeah, they would rather be on the street or they would be rather be, you know, fighting real crime. But instead, what yeah. are you doing? You're dealing with phone calls about somebody that is calling in about an overdose and you find out it's not a person, but it's like their dog ate chocolate. And you're like, okay, you should probably call a vet instead of calling 911. <laughs> Or dealing with like abusive Karens that are out harassing staff at three in the morning at a local shop. But then the game takes a little more sinister and supernatural turn. And you actually are greeted with a real crime that's in progress. And the game does a really smart job of capturing what the film The Guilty did so well in that it kind of subdues you. And then it lays on this heavy, intense situation where... Mm. The game teaches you all the mechanics and the fundamentals, but then it gives you a real situation. And all of a sudden, these fundamentals that you've kind of been treating as a joke, like, yeah, I'm going to file a report on a guy that gave his dog chocolate or something. But now all of a sudden, you're greeted with a real situation that has real stakes. And I thought this game did that really, really smartly. And it does a good job of, you know, setting the tone and then giving you characters to interact with via phone call that you at least get somewhat of a semblance of like the immediacy and the urgency of their situation. Uh, again, it's only 20 minutes or so, but to do that in a span of 20 minutes, I was really taken with, and I was surprised at uh, how effective that was. How did you, uh, how'd you get on with dispatch? Yeah, I think the key thing you point out there is when it does escalate, um, it uses its tools so well. Um, key to that is uh, when you're, um, getting into it and you decide to you know, send a unit out to this call like that uh, you then get this sort of extra number of information of how far they are away from it and that in relation to what's going on in the call 
adds this tension that wasn't there before where you're like, well, you're helpless and you're waiting for this car to get there and stuff is escalating in, in this call and you don't know, you know, what's going to happen when. The only thing that sort of knocked me back on this at first was the voice acting at first was a bit, you know, it was a case of I wasn't sure if I should be taking it seriously or not. And I mean this, you know, in, in the best possible way, in the sense of in horror games, especially, you had this thing where people talk in strange ways sometimes, and that's the the, the cue to say, "Oh, don't trust this person." You know, they're, they're being they they sound weird. They don't sound human. And I don't know. The longer it went on, it started to be thinking, "Is it though, or is it just it wasn't particularly solid acting?" You know, in that part, and it was just a bit wooden. And then when you hear the other voices and they feel a bit more natural, it's like, okay, that doesn't, no, I'm not sure. And it kind of took me out of it a little bit, you know, because I was thinking, I don't want to get invested in case I'm being stung here, you know, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, just being a casualty of watching so many horror movies and whatever. (laughs) You you just, you gain a general mistrust of how people act in, in certain situations. So, you know, I think, I don't think it's really a fault of the game in that sense. But, you know, at the same time, if the voice acting was more, more consistent overall, I think it really would have nailed it you know, for me and really would have made it more convincing. Because, you know, whatever the reveal would be, you would be better invested in that story if you didn't have that doubt in your mind. I mean, that, as I said, that may just be me. But it, it, that's kind of how it felt. But I did love the way it set that up, and it did sort of give you this mechanical thing of you've got these tools, and now they're useless. All of a sudden, after all that, and all you can do is say the right thing at the right time, and it's a pressure situation. You're like, well, is this the right thing to do here? Is that would that be sensible? And yeah, it really sort of gives you a responsibility. One that you can't see the result of. You can hear it, maybe. But you have no context for the instructions you're giving. You know, it's like you're just having to assume, well, if you're here and that person's there, then you should do that and go there. Without really knowing what danger that could put the person in. And I thought that was definitely the highlight of that sort of thing. You know, where you are just feeling so helpless. Yet everything is on you to sort of try and make it drag this situation out long enough for the police to get there and, you know, keep the people safe at the same time. And yeah, it, that part of it was very hard-hitting and unpleasant in that regard. Yeah, I have to say, I think that the moment that you just highlighted, like when you make that call to a unit and then you have that counter where I think it starts at like 10 minutes, they're 10 minutes away. Then they're nine minutes and they're like, that is the most gut wrenching part of this experience, right? Is the idea and that it instills in the player that helplessness in a way that feels very natural and it comes on very quickly. And I don't know if, I mean, how did you play? Did you play with the voice recognition or without it? I didn't play with the voice recognition just because at the time my wife was working in the same room as me. So she's been looking at me weird if I start talking like that. But given the subject matter, it's just a bit of a bit Right. Well, I, I was surprised because generally I, 
personally, I just view some of those types of things as like being a little gimmicky. But in this mm. case, since it's single location, there's you're riding a desk, as I've said. I choose I chose to have that option and play with that voice recognition. And I went back just to hear the player voice if you didn't do that. And I was so much more pleased with my decision to use my own voice uh, just because I don't particularly care for the voice of the 911 operator that they chose. And there's also that extra level of engagement where I'm quite literally not only have to make a split second decision and which of the two responses I give, but, you know, that extra... I guess, uh, effort, if you will, of actually like saying it out loud, like there, that's an extra layer of interactivity that I don't really like experience a lot with games. And in yeah. something like this, where it has that little counter, right. Of how many minutes until the police, uh, actually arrive at the location of the crime, it just further heightened that sense of urgency in a way that was really a pleasant surprise I found. And, uh, you know, I think that, and I'm curious to get your take on this without us going into spoilers necessarily, but there is a dramatic shift about halfway through where you think that you know the type of experience this is, and then there's more Mm. of a supernatural edge to it. How did you feel about the supernatural twist to what's occurring, you know, without us kind of detailing the the end of the the experience? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like I I sort of alluded to before, it's like you're kind of trying to... I was set on edge by that with the voice acting, you know, thinking, well, now I'm going to mistrust this because at that point I was thinking, okay, so it's horror in a very sort of real sense, you know, that we are just getting, you know, the horror of being helpless to a situation that is horror, you know, horrible. And yet where it takes a turn, yes, it feels, oh, okay. Like that. And, but like I said, I expected something at that point because of that. And as unintentional as that ended up being, it was just, I felt slightly robbed of something, you know, that, you know, and it just, again, not to discredit the game on that front, because I think it's pretty well orchestrated, but it just, it didn't quite work as well as it should have for me, I think. Yeah. I think the pacing of it at the end of the day is a saving grace because the groundwork yeah. that it does, it makes for an experience that is memorably tense and unsettling, even if maybe the payoff for us mm-hmm. wasn't quite there. I think overall, though, that doesn't mar my experience with it just because of, again, that groundwork is so fundamental in the ways in which and the pacing with which it introduces that very sort of organic escalation of things in a way that doesn't feel, I don't know, it just feels very indicative of the type of experience this is within the parameters of it and you know whether or not it has that influence from the films or not the ability to recreate that initial sort of gut punch moment and anxiety that of waiting right the anxiety of having a resolution to the event that's occurring i think is uh is no small feat and it's one that Mm. i think this game or experience largely capitalizes on all right, before we go on to your uh, next pick, I think we'll take a, a quick break and then we'll regroup and uh, chat about the rest of our picks for this month. All right, and we are uh, back after a quick break. Uh, Neil, what was your next pick for the month? So this is the second of my text-based 
games. Um, you know, again, this is again purely unintentional, but it just happened to be. It's also a post-apocalyptic sort of one as well, but with the more traditional infected uh, being part of it. So this is Apocalyptic Decisions by Kashka. And as with all games this month, it is on Itch.io. Um, so it's a text adventure, a survival game in that uh, in yeah, a broad sense. Uh, you and your teammates are in the lobby of an uncleared compound filled with infected. And basically you have to clear the compound with everybody alive, including you. And obviously some complications come up and you're faced with those kind of decisions that will see people live and die. But it's basically then who do you choose to live or die in these situations by uh, how you go into those that again this is very text heavy um it comes up with the odd choice here and there sometimes it's not a choice it's just like literally like press the next line of dialogue to carry on uh which you know is very much in keeping with you know what we said with the pre with whimper um again very detail heavy um you can be nice to people nasty to people and uh you know, there's various endings and demises that can happen, you know, depending on how you feel about these people. You're given decent descriptions for the characters you're supposed to care about to sort of make an informed choice, if you will. Um, I think it was less effective than Whimper, um, though I did enjoy you know, the, the fact that it had more peril to it, if you will. You know, um it really felt like you, you could make a bad decision. You could hurt people's feelings, and it felt more like a traditional, you know, adventure game thing in that regard. Um, it didn't set the atmosphere up as well as Whimper, but I still think it, yeah, it, it did well with the stakes. I think, I feel, and you know, had a couple of goes through it, you know, making different decisions, seeing di- you know, different outcomes, and. Yeah, I, I like it for that. I, I do wish that it was more choice based than it was because unlike Wimper, I feel it needs it sort of um, because it does seem to be focusing more on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, it was a, it's a decent time. I, I had a, a right time with this. Uh, how did you do? Yeah, I largely feel the same way as you do about it. Um, I played this back to back with Wimper and. Mm. You know, overall, I would say that this is the opposite of the type of text-based adventure that I would want to experience in that it's very heavily based on describing action. It's less character-focused. It's more about the ramifications for actions. Um, I will say I didn't necessarily think the writing was, not to say I could write fiction or be a great fiction writer, (laughs) but I don't necessarily know that the writing is of a quality that can sustain a text-based adventure. I think if it didn't have that interactivity portion where yeah. you're making decisions and, you know, getting some of that buy-in into like, okay, well, yeah. I can dictate the outcome of this by my decisions. I don't know if I would have even had that much fun with the experience, to be honest. And it's more heavily based on describing the types of actions that the player carries out and, you know, the undead carnage and the injuries that can be sustained from that. Whereas... yeah. My personal taste, I'm looking for something more like Whimper. 
um, in terms mm-hmm. of it being more introspective or more uh, a reflection on how the world in this sim- uh, similar sort of like post-apocalyptic scenario is changing things and how that is being interpreted and things like that. I will say one element that Apocalyptic Decisions does really, really well, I thought was the emphasis on player choice, not only on, you know, okay, you get to decide if you're going to help or abandon certain characters in the story, but more so there's certain key moments where like you'll click on one of the choices and then it'll, they'll place an emphasis on certain words. There was one where it was like when you're having a cigarette break, I think, and it was like you inhale and then the player is going to hold their hold in the smoke for like three seconds or something. And you have to click one, two, three, and then that, and then you get a brief bit of text about exhaling and the story continues. There are a couple of instances like that in the experience where it places emphasis on you progressing something in a way that feels more involving than just making a regular decision. It really does put you in the moment of certain actions, whether they end up being, you know, they're mostly inconsequential to the overall experience because it's little things like that. But that does add something to the storytelling I found or the player involvement at the very least in a way that a lot of text adventures I find don't have, right? It's usually very black and white, your decisions. I'm going to help this person. I'm going to abandon them to save my own skin. And little instances like that, I found just further sort of place you in the boots of these characters of a text-based adventure. Um, I just kind of wish the writing had not been as action focused as it were, because I don't necessarily know that the quality is there to sustain that uh, for the entire adventure. But, you know, yeah, that's just uh, that's probably more my personal taste in the types of things mm-hmm. I would want to read. Um, and, you know, Wimper left such a strong impression on me that after that, maybe I should have spaced these experiences out a little bit because I was really taken with Wimper and its direction, but also yeah. the quality of its writing um compared to apocalyptic decisions yeah i mean i went the opposite way i think apocalyptic decisions was the first game i played so and wimper was the second to last so i had a bit of a gap on that one but you know i i I like both sides of it but i think (laughs) coming from our chat about the walking dead i know you know different levels and stuff but you know, it, it's difficult to sort of distance yourself from that when it's on your mind. Um, in terms of, you know, especially when you're stripping back everything to just be mostly about the writing, you have to be smart with that. And as we said, Wimper is very much focused on a different side of things, but still implements little moments that work well as a game you know and you know draw you in and you know like I said, even though my son may have said he, he felt bored by bits of it he still continued you know he still wanted to keep going which you know for him is something quite remarkable because you know normally he'd just be like oh, i'll do something else sort of thing but you know here this is just you know it's it's fine does a job but it doesn't feel like anything it feels like stuff i've read watch played before you know and, you know I, I think whimper just has enough to it that's different you know alien invasion some sort of mystery to it and you know more of a personal touch in, in terms of the person you're playing as i suppose whereas this just feels like you could be 
any man USA uh, and be okay with it. Which, again, if they weren't in direct comparison, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing. But un- unfortunately, <laughs> it, it, you know, they are, they are up against each other this month. And I, I think it, it's fine. I, I think that's the best thing to say about it. It's fine. It's not terrible, nothing like that. It, it just happens to be up against something that does it so much more effectively this month, which is yeah, no fault of its own. Um, What about you? What's your next pick? So my next pick was They Speak from the Abyss, which was from mm-hmm. a developer, The Fifth Kalpa, which is a 20 to 30 minute, and it's important to note, demo. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about bite-sized experience, but this is also a demo, which is does not include some of the features that the developer has uh, indicated they're going to be including. Like there's going to be yeah. a battle system that they've been talking about incorporating and these different things. So this is very much like a brief slice of flavor text and world building. And yeah. uh, I think it'll be apparent why I was so taken with this. But this is very similar to a, I would say, dungeon crawler, uh, very much a dungeon crawler from hell uh, along yes. the lines of something like one of the older uh, Elder Scrolls games where you're kind of, you're taking a step forward, you have to rotate to maneuver environments. Yes. But the environments that you are exploring are probably unlike anything anybody's seen in those style of dungeon crawlers, right? It very much feels like sort of a Clive Barker dungeon crawler from hell, uh, if you will, in that the player plays Vanessa, who stumbles upon a parallel world known as the Abyss, uh, a world whose corridors are organic flesh and filled with monsters trapped in seemingly uh, eternal stages of suffering and whatnot. Um, This, again, in terms of like gameplay, the extent of the gameplay in the demo is, is that you're finding these hearts which unlock doors which let you progress the world in various ways but it's more about the horror aesthetic of it the different subgenres of horror that this dabbles in dabbles in a lot of like body horror different types of monsters that have various influences from you know different subgenres of film and yeah. it's a world that feels so heavily realized and in a way that I don't necessarily attribute to a lot of demos or you know bite-sized slices like this feels like a chapter out of a game that is finished even if it is not just because of the scope yeah. of concept the types of horrors that you're encountering and the you know bricks that were laid in the groundwork essentially of this world and the different types of like monsters you meet and you know everything it basically feels like a world that's a smorgasbord of like meat and flesh and suffering uh, it feels very gross and there's this texture to everything that you're encountering and whatnot. Um, And even if you don't necessarily get a great deal of information about what's being said, I find that every interaction with monsters, it reveals a characteristic about the world. It's a very Mm. oppressive place. It's a place that, that revels in suffering, even though the things that you're encountering are lamenting their current stages of suffering and whatnot. Um, And it's a confusing world, but it's a world that I think offers up a lot of interesting concepts, but also more indicative. I mean, more interestingly, so it's a world that I want to explore more just based on the few variables that are introduced. Like they keep alluding to this, like baptism of blood that the player is yeah. running late for. And there's these different, there's like a city that's being guarded by this horrific monster. And, you know, Saying something's horrific in this is interesting because everything you encounter is horrific. Um, But it's the type of game that I think, or the type of demo that 
offers up a lot of questions or at least intriguing characters and creatures and whatnot that it's only 20 or 30 minutes in the exploration of it, but it's a world and inhabitants that I want to learn more about. And I'm excited to see the various development stages this takes and just kind of not necessarily getting more questions or answers to my questions, but just seeing the ways in which this can develop into more of a game in terms of like, how does a battle system work? What are the different variables of combat in this kind of crazy world that the player barely understands? But for somebody like me, I found to be very intriguing. How'd you get on with this? Yeah. I mean, instantly um, getting into it, I found it to be like the hell version of paradise killer. Hmm. A game I absolutely adore, you know, because it has this sort of 3D world, 2D characters sort of thing. Very uh, determined in that. Um, that in itself was intriguing, and just the character interactions sort of brought up a little of that as well. I think, yeah, how considering how minimalist it is uh, visually, it, it really does sort of sell its unpleasantness uh, and the noises of it as well help with that. It, it really does just sound unpleasant at times. Yeah. I, as a teaser for, you know, I would probably call it like a vertical slice of the, the main projects so, that, you know, this is what this game could be. This is what the game could do. It may not be the final product, but it is our ideas. And yeah, that worked really well for me. I am very happy to see that they've, got a clear idea of what they want to do it's i mean clearly a stronger version of what uh the developers of agony were trying to do uh, without <laughs> Very much quite so, so much uh, <laughs> without quite so much um sexual content but mm-hmm. it's you know it i it, that is con- conviction in in what you're doing if you're not just going oh look at this stuff isn't it gross and realistic it's like no no, no we can make it gross and unpleasant and hellish and you know, disorientating, uh, especially because, as you said, with the control setup being this very old school, press here to move a little bit, press that way to move a little bit, you can easily just get yourself turned around and be like, oh, where am I? What am I doing? Can I go past this? Can I do that? And very simple gameplay idea, you know, to collect hearts, to unlock more open things and whatever. But, you know, in... The context of what they're offering, it makes a lot of sense. It feels like you're doing some sort of devilish odd job where you must sort of do all this, and if you don't, you're fucked, sort of thing. Uh, all the while being telling, well, if you don't, you'll be fucked. So do this so we can fuck you over, and if you don't, you'll be fucked, sort of thing. But damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you will. Yeah, I. Yeah, it, I think it's quite fun you know, for what it does. I think it's um, fun, maybe not would be the right word, but it, it, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it's got such conviction for what it wants to be that it, it, you can't help but be impressed by what it does. Uh, I, I think it's got a lot going for it. And I, I, I like you, I really do see this as having a lot of potential as a full project if they can tap into what they're doing here and make something, you know, splendid and wonderful and fully fleshed, so to speak. Yeah, you know, the I think that it's a game that for its lo-fi aesthetic, it's highly detailed and it's realized in lots of little ways. 
that ultimately yeah. make it feel like it's a bigger production maybe than it actually is. I mean, every step you take, right, you have this kind of like sickly squishing sound underneath your feet, mm. which really just kind of plays well off the fact that you're looking at this world that it basically seems to be constructed from uh, contorted variations of flesh and whatnot. And yes. every time you interact with a character, you get that very traditional, you know, dungeon crawler RPG visual of them and that they pop up on screen front and center and you're talking with them and they become more than just their pixels, right? And I think that those types of interactions are great at establishing that, you know, these are not kind of like afterthought additions to the world. These inhabitants, yeah. no matter how big a role they play, add some semblance of significance in a way that makes the game feel more fully realized and maybe fleshed out than it could even end up being at the end of the day. Like who knows in terms mm -hmm. of the scope of the potential of this project, I think that it's a strong indicator of what this could be. And for, you know, a demo of a, you know, horror bite for the purposes of our chat, um, it's very, very promising and something that I was I was surprised that at how little gameplay there was in it that mm. I'm so eager to return to that world, which I think is, you know, that's probably the best compliment you give to a demo that yeah, has absolutely. very, very little gameplay in it in that it's all about the atmosphere and it captures that horror aesthetic. And I'm sure that, you know, what they're able to do in 20 to 30 minutes of gameplay, I can't wait to see what they could do for a full-fledged experience. Yes, absolutely. How about you, though? What was your final pick of the month? Yeah, and I think um, not unintentionally, we'd probably save the best for last with these two, with yours and mine. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, this, I mean, there's a point that this game has been brought up, like I said, on horror visuals. You know, Aaron brought this up to you about this game, and but I'd already picked it, so it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, which is Our Lady of Sorrow uh, by Tooth and Claw. Um, this is a found footage horror game, so instantly I was very much going to be into it. Um, set in an old abbey in Ireland, which just doubled my interest, obviously. And so, it, yeah, basically an unmarked tape discovered in the archives of an abandoned church containing strange footage was recently discovered. The tape was deemed extremely dangerous by the Catholic Church and was hidden away. And yet now you are in possession of this tape. It The best thing about this when it starts is that it does give you this old school you know sort of you shouldn't be watching this without a priest sort of thing <laughs> right and like that and you, you should make sure you get blessed afterwards i just straight away i was like oh, i'm gonna love this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 that's the, the attention to detail we're gonna get with this i'm gonna think this is amazing in some way and you know i was my excitement was not unfounded um straight away going into the game Lo-fi aesthetic, you know, VHS tracking feeds, all that sort of stuff. Stuff that's been done a yeah, gajillion times. We've seen many games do it. But here, it just feels right, you know. It feels grim and hard to see things and in the way that it should be. You know, this is at the 90s. And, oh, I just... To me, weirdly, I mean, the thing it reminded me of the most at first was... Um, Lucia Fulci's sort of City of the Living Dead and the cemetery scenes from that um, which is good in itself I mean it doesn't go anywhere near that in terms of what the story is but it had that atmosphere and mood and this unreal 
sort of feeling to it that really played into what does happen in this. So, yeah, you go around this, you, you're sort of searching the way around this abbey, for, which is smartly signposted by, um, you know, we talk about, you know, information in games and how that's handled, like when the game wants to tell you a bit more about the world you're inhabiting. And, you know, normally that's like uh, pieces of paper or it's, you know, audio recordings or whatever. Now, this is a tourist site. So there are naturally boards up that give you a little information about the history of the place. You know, say, oh, you know, in this year, you know, this place has seen all sorts of things. It's seen, you know, Viking raids and it's seen fires and it's seen black masses and things like that. It's like, cool. Okay, so yeah, I can see why this is a tourist attraction. (laughs) And... It's fantastic you get to that and you just go around the place and it makes reading all the different things quite cool because otherwise it's quite abandoned and very empty in the initial phase of it. But yeah, the more you obviously get into it, you know, the more it starts showing its supernatural side and you, um, you know, you descend effectively to the hellish levels of it and it really just does start ramping things up in a very natural way that doesn't, you know, it doesn't get over the top. It doesn't get super intense. It just gets more and more unpleasant and unnerving. Mm. You know, the the key to this, I think, is the statues, which you know, there's lots of these faceless statues in various poses that just happen to inhabit certain areas and. Obviously, they change positions when certain things happen and when you're not looking. And it really helps tell the story nicely. But also, you always, always have something in you going, I don't think I can trust walking past them. <laughs> you know, like that. And it's really unnerving. And, you know, as you sort of unlock certain areas and get further in, you know, the weather changes and it all gets more apocalyptic if you will you know like high winds the rain's going it's getting darker more weird shit's happening in this place and yeah, it just builds up unease in, in such a superb way and weirdly when anything when when you first see the thing you're sort of reading into the story and you see it move considering like the visual style of this game moves in a way that just doesn't feel right for this kind of visual style but that's brilliant because it feels unnatural and like what the fuck was that you know sort of thing it feels too smooth for a game that looks very much like that sort of ps1 era style horror game you know that we've seen many of and it really throws you off and every time you see it in these sort of passing glances, you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, that's horrible. And, yeah, I, I just, I don't know, it just makes it feel like a proper found footage thing, the way they handle those little, sort of little reveals and little changes, and everything flows really well, I found as well, which I think I got lost once before I realised I had a torch on me. Uh, <laughs> I had the dark, same moment. But, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to get lost in the dark. I'm not going to see any more of this game. And I was like, oh, there's the torch button. And, that, and then after that, it was like plain sailing. It, it really went well. I 
genuinely absolutely adored this again it's another one of those that come the end of the year i'm gonna be like this is gonna be there because it just taps into so many of the things that i really enjoy and does it so well you know and i just the camera stuff and the fan footage just doesn't feel forced it feels like part of it it really does feel like it is the whole point you know, it's like, oh, from, you know, the warning at the beginning to the warning at the end, it's like, you know, you watch this, go get yourself fucking blessed before you <laughs> get, die or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's great. And the noises and the little old school sort of like uh, video editing stuff you get in there, oh, just magical. It just fits. And I'm probably a very good audience for this just because of when it's set and having irish heritage myself and it's just yeah i love it i love it love, love it. how did you do with this one <laughs> yeah you know like you this was one of the highlights of uh the month for me for horror bites in that it has a lot of variables that are very familiar and from afar they might seem stock standard for a lot of you know itchio bite-sized mm. terrors for many of the things that you highlighted but it feels like the perfect implementation of each of them right and yeah. i mean so much of it has to do with that it being bookended by that, you know, the warnings that used to be at the beginning of VHS tapes and these things, or even, you know, it initially it made me think of like the warning at the beginning of uh, some video games, right? When they used to have that FBI warning at the beginning of them yeah. or something like that, just like that throwback to the nineties, right. And that being a byproduct of that era. And it's such a simple thing and it's pretty fleeting. It only lasts a couple of seconds, but it does so much in establishing the atmosphere that then the gameplay itself and the world building complements that, right? Because like you said, yes, it's a graveyard and whether or not you can make that comparison to like Fulci stuff, again, you're in a graveyard and it's able to tell you the lore in a way that feels natural because it is a tourist mm-hmm. attraction. You don't have to pick up a bunch of letters and notes, which, you know, that's a fine storytelling mechanic, but it becomes pretty commonplace in these types of games and whatnot. Yeah. And so to have it have that historical context, it's supposedly being a tourist attraction it just makes sense and it feels like a natural continuation of the world itself and you know i'm it was funny that we had that same moment in terms of like not realizing we had a flashlight (laughs) uh, and kind of stumbling around but i only learned that because i was so eager on finding the next you know signpost that told me more about the mystery or something it never became a moment of frustration or whatever it was just like oh well I haven't explored clearly enough. And it, it was a continuation of wanting to know the story of this world and this setting and the lore and whatnot. And that's another element that, you know, uh, witchcraft horror is not necessarily one of my favorite subgenres of horror, but I think that the way in which it incorporates it within a setting that feels real world and this just lineage to the environment that you're mm. exploring it bolsters that element of horror that sometimes I'm kind of hit or miss on in a way that it feels very natural to the kind of progression of uncovering that mystery of there was a woman accused of witchcraft and she put a curse on the priest. And then, you know, they light her on fire and throw her down a well. And that sort of folk horror element to it, I thought was really complemented by just the world in general in that setting. Um, And the way in which it, the world itself evolves. I mean, it's probably a, what a 25 30 minute experience at most but yeah, the, the way in which it captures the passage of time and the idea that the further the player explores 
the more that passage of time is being manipulated or their recollection of time is being manipulated, right? Because, yeah. you know, it gives you a timestamp and then time starts to jump. But then it's not just the timestamp that jumps. That's reflective in the environment, which you had noted, yeah. right? Not only does the environment becomes darker, which means you have to use your torch for the rest of the experience, but like the sound design in this, I think is like a one because the whispering of the wind that is very faint initially, it becomes almost deafening. Right. And just how that kicks up very naturally to match how the supernatural elements of your exploration are becoming more exemplified and whatnot, uh, or more heightened as it were. Um, yeah, that's the elements that I think really does a great job at establishing a passage of time and the distortion of that and how that even funnels into the scares, right? Because the more and more you encounter these supernatural oddities, like you might see something move or something swaps places, or you come across something that can't be explained. There's like a brief static jump in the tape. And then whatever you just saw is no longer there and you're able to continue once again. And, you know, that's such a smart way to handle found footage in a way that I would akin to like, the Blair Witch, like you saw yes. it, it's on tape, but you can't trust either your recollection of it or even the tape at that point. And that creates a lot of self-doubt and sort of second guessing one's own experience in a way that I think is absolutely perfect for an experience like this. Yeah, and I think what it does that's very important in being found footage like the Blair Witch Project is that it gives it as a third hand account. You know, you are watching someone else after the event effectively not you're not in it documenting it you are having you know, you've been handed someone else's life you know mm. moments captured on tape and so it, it gives you these wonderful little mysteries of like why what happened in that gap there one of my favorites is in this is during uh, you, you go into a sewer and you know, a head rises out of the water just a little bit, and then it does the whole you know the fuzz comes up on the screen and it just flashes forward to something else. And you say, "I love it because it was so easy to just do that." And you're like, "Oh, you see it," and then it just goes away. But it just yeah it. it moves on as if oh no no nothing happened like that and like the tape's trying to sort of gaslight you into thinking it didn't happen (laughs) and yeah that was smart and yet there are other moments where it obviously was like something walks across an area and then it it disappears in an impossible fashion because like you know you go around the corner there's nowhere it could have gone Mm -hmm. you know like that and that you know the chopping and changing of that is such a great mechanic to me because you're never sure of what's going to come next is like is it going to be a manipulation of what you're watching or is it just going to be the general manipulation of what the person was seeing at the time and documenting and yeah yeah i, I, I love stuff like that because it just leads so much to the imagination and even when they go to effectively reveal what's coming after you they still keep it very quick very subtle and 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 deal with it in in such a way that makes sense to me in terms of how the story is documented yeah it wraps in that found footage and that you know 
uh, yeah. lo-fi PS1 aesthetic into the scares in a way that, you know, we seldomly see. I think a lot of the time with a lot of bite-sized experience that try to do something similar, the scares often don't necessarily land as well as they do here because they don't tie in the aesthetic that the game is evoking or yeah. using. Um, it feels like two very separate things, whereas with Our Lady of Sorrow, it feels like one very continuous experience that every element basically complements one another in a way that it feels like, okay, you've been warned about this tape and now the tape is actually being a supernatural entity in its presentation itself, which yes. in and of itself feels threatening throughout the entire game. Cause now, you know, like you had said, the player not only is viewing this, but they're in the shoes of somebody else. And now the tape itself could become an antagonist uh, of sorts and whatnot, or unreliable in that regard. And it just makes for an experience that fully understands the format and, you know, its various influences that so many of these types of bite-sized experiences utilize, you know, to varying degrees. But this was just such a, a pleasant and, uh, you know, creepy utilization of all of those things in the best way possible. Um, and yeah, this was definitely one of my highlights of the month and, I'm glad that you were uh, you were ahead of the curve in picking it. Before, you know, we were inundated, <laughs> whether it be our feeds or our inboxes, with uh, recommendations for it. Yeah, I, I, it, it was nice to sort of discover it organically in that regard. But yeah, that, that's it. Either way, it doesn't matter. Discover it. Um, so we're on to your final pick, which again is to echo what you said is very much one of the highlights of the month for me. As well, which uh, to, to to barge in slightly is Drive Time Radio. Yep, Drive Time Radio by uh, Birthday Boy, and I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, this is give or take again 25 30 minute experience, um, which combines the uh, mundane nature of late night drives while listening to uh, Witching Hour Shock Jocks with a, mm -hmm. uh, a fantastic supernatural and uh, humorous spin on it. So basically. The player is driving late at night. They're listening to a radio station that's having this contest to win a, a pair of VIP tickets to the Beach of Palooza Spring Break Beach Blowout, which is uh, one hell of a mouthful of a uh, an event. <laughs> so much so that I literally, after they said it, I was like, I have to write that down. It's <laughs> going to come up. It's going to come up. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think that that's a perfect indicator of this game's sense of humor and yes. the way in which it's able to really sustain this ridiculous sensibility of humor for an experience that never that runs, you know, 25, 30 minutes and never feels tiresome for as, you know, nope. tongue in cheek as it is. Um, but basically the gameplay element of it is that the player is steering their vehicle on the highway, which begins normal enough. But then there become various obstacles, right? You come across a crashed car or two. And then these spikes or tentacles rather begin bursting from the ground and you have to dodge them periodically, which would be fine yes. enough if you were not also answering questions when you call into the radio station. And, you know, you have to briefly look to the right, which obscures your vision of the obstacles so that way you can yeah. select one of two answers to the questions that are being asked. And with something like this, it's an experience that if it wants to capitalize on that premise, it has to have the humor and the voice acting to sustain that. And I think we're both very fortunate that, and everybody else that checks this out, that this game does that 
I would say for this type of experience, it's perfect in that it has the fantastic writing. It's got great humorous voice acting to go along with it, that it sustains that balance of interactivity of, you know, the arcadiness of dodging obstacles with the humor of these questions that become that, you know, they bounce between ridiculous and they bounce between, you know, actual like real world questions that are based in reality, but the varying degrees of absurdity in the answers and whatnot in the presentation of that, it made for an experience that was, you know, hilarious and uh, a fantastic blend of just various types of gameplay with logic, with ridiculous humor and whatnot. Um, But I think a big chunk of it has to do with, you know, the two personalities of the shock jock radio DJ interviewers Kyle and Brett, who, you know, without sort of unveiling what's behind the curtain of the supernatural element, if things begin very, you know, tame and you're asked these questions such as like, who's the 20th president of the United States or asking you various elements placed on the periodic table, but things become increasingly strange and, you know, unknowable to a certain degree later in the game. Um, But even with like, the opening moments of having questions that, you know, are obviously based in reality and based in fact, there's always yeah. a little bit of a humorous spin on things. Like with that 20th president of the United States, the answer is obviously Garfield, but it gives you only Garfield as an answer. But one of them says Garfield parentheses, man, Garfield parentheses, cat, <laughs> like the ability to infuse humor in things that are based in fact, but then still have a lot of humor in things that are based in, absurdity or the ridiculousness or the unknowable is a quality that this has that I think is a really rare talent in implementing humor in, you know, not, not only horror games, but horror movies or movies in general for that instance. Um, I mean, how did you get on with this one? Cause this was definitely, it sounds like a highlight for both of us. Yeah. I mean, just pointing out that joke, I think the game does really well in sort of pushing you to, maybe get the stupid answer because you want to see it mm-hmm. at the response, but at the same time, give you the stakes that mean that if you do, you're fucked. You yeah. And that, that it's not a good idea to do that. And I love that it's a game that constantly toys with the player, you know, through the hosts, you know, themselves on the radio show to their question to how, you know, they end up manipulating the world you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, it does just feel like you're, a victim in this, this whole situation and just very much at the whim of what they want to do. And yeah, so you, it, it's so daft in the best way. Um, for me, I think the highlight comes in the discussion of the moon landings and <laughs> the proof thereof of after that, that, that I just, that I did not see it taking in that direction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, I can prove to you that the moon line is fake because the moon is fake and like that. And just, <laughs> just, just but then you end up, you question everything as it goes from there. And the constant goading that goes on with that, where you are just being told that, you know, you, you, you're going to die. You, we're going to take you. We're going to get you. You're not going to be a sort of thing, but also trying to get you on the leash enough that you'll answer the questions and carry on with the thing. Yeah, it's my kind of humour, absolutely, as you said, with yours. 
and yeah, I like the ingenuity. Of, you know, it's a very simple premise of like, yeah, you know, on a road, don't crash, whatever you do, but here's reasons why you might crash, and sort of stacks those as you go, and like to the point where they try to catch you out occasionally as well, and do things like ah, oh, yeah, it's a wonderful little construction that they've made there, and. One of those where, feasibly, you could lose at any time, and it would feel natural as an end point to the to the game itself. So, yeah, success or not, if you will, you know, for what the game calls success, you, know, you yeah, you you could fail at any time and feel like it matters, and that's it. That that's your ending, you know, quite rightly. I like that about it because sometimes it could just, you know, if not even sometimes, many times in a game it can feel like, you know, oh, you died, restart, blah, blah, blah. And here it just feels like, well, no, you're faced with questions and obstacles and you are given the stake straight away that you hit either one in the wrong way, you're done. And that's it. And you know the consequences. So it really feels flexible in that regard, which is difficult to do so i was very impressed that they managed to pull that off yeah you know to that point that you're making about like the moon that without you know spoiling the punchline of that that is the perfect intersection of player interactivity and Mm. you know gameplay with the humor that doesn't miss a beat and i think that's the biggest thing is that everything feels so cohesive here in a way that you know the player choice is not influencing, but it's reflective of what's being said and vice versa and how the the audio and the jokes and the humor and whatnot can influence the actual world in real time. And I think that that lack of, you know, interference with those two things allows it to be this very, you know, very directly fluid flowing thing that doesn't have a lot of interruptions other than if the player crashes. But then not only does it feel like a natural potential ending, but at the same time, it, the restart to kind of get back into the flow of things to keep the story progressing and whatnot is almost immediate that, you know, sure, there are stakes, but they're not long lasting ones. And I think that that was key in just my enjoyment of, you know, you don't have to do a lot of backtracking. You don't have to hear a lot of the same bits over and over and whatnot. It kind of, I was surprised at least in how, um, how the game is able to draw you back just a few seconds before that accident that, ended your last playthrough in a way that doesn't feel like you're doing a lot of backtracking, but at the same time, it gets you back just enough that you're like, okay, I'll just go this way instead. And then it progresses things in a nice flow that it doesn't allow any of the humor to really become too stale Um, to the degree. You know, I played it twice just because I enjoyed it so much. and I wanted to see, well, if I fuck up this many answers, what's the result or this or that for the various outcomes. But, you know, it was the amount of, refining and just the humor the implementation of the humor and the gameplay and how they meet this nice intersection of the two and how they complement one another made this uh one of the highlights of the month and just an experience that i'm glad you had as much fun as uh i did with it yeah i mean i i I'm always up for anything that goes into the absurd and is ambitious what it does and this clearly is it's as I was sort of saying earlier, there's so many games that will try to do the same sort of thing. You know, 
what struck me initially with this was that you know, oh, it's driving a car. Driving a car is such a big thing, or driving a vehicle is such a big thing in in the aura as an experience but this really took it somewhere else you know like that you know while it has been done in other games that we've covered on this section before here it feels like an entirely different thing like it feels like something that's special if you, if you will and i was yeah i mean that's always where it's going to be important you are going to get these games that take the idea somewhere else and really push on from that and as much as you can sort of say oh you know there's too many games trying to do the same thing it's kind of necessary because I think that's the way you evolve in this space is you have to see many people trying the same thing and seeing where they work and what don't work to naturally jump to the next level I mean you see it in the AAA space, what they take from indie games to utilize in their games, uh, you know, Capcom famously did that, you know, with Resident Evil and pushed it everything they knew from games that did and didn't get made. And for, this is where we'll take Resident Evil, and it worked for them. But they waited and watched to see what everyone else did first. And here in this microcosm of that, Games like this are the result because you get, like we said, so many games every month that do the same things over and over again. Some not worth your time, some do the job decently, and then you get ones that do this, that go above and beyond, whether they be of a high quality overall or not. They try to push the boundaries, and that in turn leads to someone else taking that note and moving it on again. And so this feels like a point in that cycle where, you know, we've gone somewhere important and, you know, not to say it's like super fresh and original because, you know, player manipulation in first person games has been done. You know, it, ironically, we're talking about this game the week that, uh, the Stanley Parable you know, got re-released, yep. you know, on PlayStation, and you know that's the perfect example of like player manipulation and expectation for what games do. But you know, this is doing enough, I feel, to warrant its own merits. You know, for that, so it, it's needed, and I think we should always be welcoming of anything that tries to sort of push the medium forward. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, that's, I think, why I enjoy exploring these horror bite type experiences with you so much every month is that, you know, you get things that from afar might look familiar, but, you know, mm. there's a certain amount of freedom in people developing things for themselves and publishing them through Itch.io or Steam for free and whatnot, that they can experiment on tried and true concepts in a yeah. way that, you know, could very well be the inspiration for, you know, the next crop of indie or even triple A games, you know, they see something that worked for them here in this short experience. And then that propels the next sort of cycle of these kind of expanding on uh, ideas that might seem familiar, but there's actually a lot more growth and originality that can go into them. But uh, yeah, this was definitely a month where I think had more, uh, not to say we ever have a month that has losers, but it has a month. This was definitely a month where 
majority of the experiences were ones that uh, would be easy recommendations, I think, overall. Mm. But, you know, this is, a, again, one of the uh, monthly highlights of doing uh, Safe Room with you in that we get to kind of step outside of our comfort zone, you know, jump yeah. into the deep end, as it were, not knowing a whole lot about something that we're about to experience. But at the end of the day, it, uh, it often yields more, uh, more creative and uh, entertaining results than uh, more often than not. Very much so. Um, but before we wrap out, I think it's important that we do our uh, monthly reminder that if you've enjoyed any of these indie experiences or, you know, if you frequent sites like Itch.io or Steam for free uh, bite-sized experiences, it's important to support the developers behind these games as uh, a majority of them, you know, especially the ones we highlight are free. Um, and I think it's important. We both agree it's uh, important to support them in any way that you can, even if, you know, it's a dollar, yes. two dollars, a handful of dollars or pounds, it's uh, important to support them so that way they can continue, but also fosters this community that is going to support people that, you know, a majority of them, I'm sure, work nine to fives, and then they come home and they spend their evenings developing games out of a love for games. And, you know, if we want to keep receiving titles like this or getting that creative push that's derived from passion rather than, you know, necessarily a paycheck at the end of the uh, tunnel of development, it. as it were, uh, it's important to support these people and creatives as much as we can. And uh, as always, the links to these games are available in this week's episode description, as well as the blog that will be on bloodydisgusting.com when this episode goes live. Um, and Neil, you know, as always, it's a pleasure chat horror with you for Safe Room. Yeah, and I will just mention as well, from now on, I will have in my personal Twitter feed is uh, my profile. My website will be linked to the Itch.io Safe safe room horror bites collection which does collect every game we've featured so far bar the odd one that may be not available on itch.io but basically you should be able to go back and sample pretty much anything we've covered so far so yeah if you want to get into those games that that is where to go the easiest place to go absolutely and that can also be found and i'll be retweeting it on our uh Twitter account for Safe Room, which you guys can follow at Safe Room Pod, not only to keep up with that list, but also, you know, if you guys want to share your thoughts on a game we've covered or planning to cover, or, you yeah. know, if you've just found a game, whether it be, you know, bite sized or AAA and you want to tell us about it, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter again at Safe Room Pod. Uh, and thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. Later.